0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. A Game
1: Warden's children's book titled A Cowboy in the Woods is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood. While trying to solve a neighborhood mystery, what he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Wardens Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Wardens Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers. Wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brought to you in part by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and the North American Game Warden Museum. Welcome to Warden's Watch, Episode one hundred and nine, with Mark Papinaw of the Michigan DNR Law Enforcement Division, and who is the historian for the Michigan law enforcement, the conservation officers up there. And I just thought this was a great opportunity that I didn't want to miss. Uh, the Game Warden Museum is located in North Dakota. And if you've never been there, I think as an officer, as a Warden's Watch listener, that should be on your places to see for sure. And it's located right on the border of Canada and in the United States, in North Dakota, uh, and it's Dunseth, D-U-N-S-E-I-T-H, is the town that is located in. And it also is in the same general vicinity, and I've never been there myself, it's it's on my list to get there, of the International Peace Gardens. So it's a double destination, and I think it's an epic place to have a game water museum housed right there uh, next to the International Peace Gardens. So Warden's Watch is going to be working with the North American Game Warden Museum, uh, promoting them. Uh, they are going to be one of our, our sponsors there in the beginning when we list uh, new main Operation Game Thief, the New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, uh, the North American... Game Warden Museum is going to be right in that group as well, and we're going to be working together on some projects. So I'm excited about that because, as you're going to find out throughout this podcast here, history is so important for all of us, and Game Warden history is extremely rich. And it's just a a really cool location for you to go visit and learn about the history of game wardens across North America. So I'm very honored to be a, a part of promoting it, letting you know where it is, letting you know that you should visit it, and getting there myself one of these days. So um, that'll, that's an exciting thing. And you're going to hear the history of Michigan. We're going to go working with Mark Papinaw here. We're going to go through the history of Michigan, hit some of the highlights here as our series on Michigan continues. So uh, thank you for listening to Warden's Watch. Leave that uh, five-star review if you can. I would appreciate it. It helps when other people are looking for podcasts. And the other thing is share it with your friends. Uh, like minds listen to the same type of podcast. My friends listen to the same type of podcast that I do. And we're always talking and sharing uh the podcasts that we liked and going back and forth so if you share warden's watch and we grow that's the the best way that we can do it and we can share the rich history of the game wardens of north america enjoy this one oh so i'm in michigan with mark papina of the michigan dnr that works. Yeah, I know everything's different everywhere across the country is a little different. So I, I kind of go with the general ones. But what's, what's the official name for the Michigan? I love it. Just I just call game wardens game wardens. But Michigan is it Fish and Wildlife?
2: Yep. No, it's officially the Department of Natural Resources, and we are the law enforcement division for the that. entire department.
1: Yeah. Generally speaking, nationwide, that's probably the general way it goes. We are still fishing game because I think uh, in New Hampshire. I just think it costs too much to change the name because <laughs> that is a big undertaking when you start changing names and it is. relabeling everything and changing history. Cause that's what we're going to talk about is Michigan game warden history, which is pretty, pretty cool. I mean, each state has its history and it's always, you know, we're always proud of our history. Let's face it. I, I think New Hampshire claims like we're one of the first fishing game agencies in the nation. Um, I don't know. Massachusetts might rival us on that. We're we're pretty tight.
2: Yeah, there was a few. Like we started in 1887, and there was a few that popped up during that year. Yeah. And I think for years and years we were all competing to claim that we were the first. I, I, I
1: think you're right. But there was a, a whole <laughs> mass of
2: agencies all at the same time. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah. It, so exactly. We we've, we started paying attention to the fishing game about the same time, yep. which is is great. I mean, that's that's the, to know that over 200 years ago they were like, hey. If we catch all these fish, there's not going to be anything left. Right. And, and most agencies started with fish, I mean, because that was uh, on the plate all the time. And, you know, when fisheries started going down, they were like, whoa, wait a second here. We're going yeah. to get a, a clam cop out there and uh, monitor our clams or our oysters or things like that. It, that seems to how a lot of them developed was out of the fish rather than the game. Of course, I imagine the game became very important in the colonial ages, too. For sure. Well, cool, Mark. Um, well, well, I'm going to let you start off and start giving me some history of the Game Wardens of Michigan.
2: Yeah, so so Michigan, when we became a, a state, we, we were an economy based on solely agriculture. So with the, the National Recession in 1837, we were pretty much obliterated. Our economy was nothing. So to offset that, the logging industry, as the white pines were pretty much eliminated and, and harvested off for timber out east... They came to Michigan because of our river systems and mm-hmm. access to the Great Lakes, where they could float the logs that they cut, get them to the sawmills, and then uh, totally ship them. To the point where, in the height of the logging era, Michigan was the leading producer of timber for the entire country wow. as it was being built. Our fisheries were phenomenal, in um, the Great Lakes, obviously, a huge resource. And just like you said, you know, the the, the fish was the the big brass roots of a lot of it to the points where millions of pounds of fish were coming out yearly. So we had, before there was even game wardens, we had a fish commission, which became the fisheries division for, for our department. Um, back in like 1873, they recognized with the amount of millions of tonnage of fish coming out mm. that we had to do something to rebuild that population. So a group of three people basically established the, the fish division back in the day Three people and took 40,000 salmon roe, basically, or ova from, from the national federal government and turned it into this massive um, fish hatchery supply system that was able to then, in the years, reproduce the amount of fish that we were harvesting commercially from our Great Lakes. But all of that's fine unless if you have an enforcement body to enforce the regulations, which we still didn't have until 1887. Um, so there was a huge span that the Fish Commission was getting tired of the the flagrant violations going on for, for for fish especially. So they petitioned the governor and the legislature at the time. And in 1887, March 15th, our first game warden was appointed.
1: Wow. And that was?
2: It was William Alden Smith. He they always grew- had
1: cool names back there. <laughs> they did. Uh- so, the middle names especially. I mean, William Smith would be okay, blah, but when you throw Walton in there, that's, that's a pretty sweet name. <laughs> yeah, so,
2: so Smith was a unique individual. He grew up, uh, they moved to Grand Rapids at a very young age. His his father at the time was dying of, of an illness, and when his dad died, um, it was his responsibility to support the family, his mother and, and his three, three siblings. And he sold as a young kid popcorn on the streets of Grand Rapids and newspapers to... Help raise the, fun, the the money. Ended up making enough money, supported the family, put himself through law school, and became a prominent attorney for a couple of railroads in Michigan, wow. which caught the eye of the governor as a as his political stature and his just the way that he was. And they appointed him as the first game warden, and uh, he served until 19 or 1891, and then he left and served a full career, 24 years in the the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate.
1: Oh that is so cool. That that that's a cool history right there.
2: Yeah, it, and it didn't end there. His his work for the federal government gave him national recognition as it was 1912 with the sinking of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. He was in the Senate at the time and had the charge of the oversight committee that investigated the sinking. And it was him and his group of senators on that oversight that rewrote maritime law to the to the extent that we still use some of those regulations today. So Smith is really important for Michigan, obviously, as our first yeah. game warden. But he, his service, not only to the state, continued on and is still continuing today federally. So it, it's pretty cool. We're pretty proud of him.
1: Yeah, what a legacy to, to leave as the first game warden. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a Roosevelt theme, almost. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, Very much. Yeah. Wow and from there i mean did he develop more game wardens or was he the when he ended was he only one still
2: yeah so he was the only game warden when he was appointed that was paid by the government or by the right. state the the law that created his position had vacancies for 10 additional state deputies mm-hmm. um but budgetarily they they never filled them so he actually hired i guess you could say like i think it was like 150 initially game wardens that worked for him but they were paid by the individual counties you know the game warden laws were new people weren't really receiving well of them so there was actually about four or five counties that completely just refused to pay the game wardens in those counties for their service so the turnover rate initially was was very very high so it was like an ever revolving door and we had people that stuck around for years and years and years a passion obviously for what they do but I could only imagine the late 1800s recruitment efforts that would have had to go on by him <laughs> to make sure that he had a full staff of people to enforce the, the rules across the state. Right. By horseback and postcards and, and walking, it, it would have been very interesting.
1: Let's face it, they had to eat if they were doing the job. It's very true. Yeah, support somewhat of a family. So, mm-hmm. And that, a lot of states started the same way within the counties supporting... Or the townships or things like that supporting yep. the first game wardens. are. Our history is very similar, and that's where the support came for, and then the state kind of took it over. Yeah, and I
2: don't think it was until the late 1890s, I think, that they finally filled those 10 positions to provide assistance. And then, you know, by 1911 or so, things started getting more consistent, and mm-hmm. some of the political appointees that were done back in the day of uh the prominent statured people from their communities they kind of got rid of that and developed a, a an actual curriculum and a the a civil service organization basically to to get good people no matter what their their partisan politics were or whatever bring them on board and then we started getting more consistent where people would stick around for a lot longer and there was you know scheduled out pay scales and, and it it just became a lot easier but those early years it was a lot of live and learn
1: <laughs> yeah i'm sure what were some of the milestones in the history of the Michigan Game Warden?
2: Oh boy, yeah, we had some. You know, the the fisheries in general, our resources here make us very unique for all the Great Lakes states. Um, Multi billion dollar industry, even for commercialization, still still today. Still today yeah. But uh, there was an amendment to the Game Warden Act that was passed in 1893 that gave specific authorities in addition to 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 go after like the the illegal fishing stuff so it allowed officers to seize nets and fish and boats or whatever that they were using illegally
1: was it called the Game Warden Act
2: it was the Game Warden Act yeah
1: that's yep. pretty unique too
2: so so the fisheries around that time in the Great Lakes and you can read all the the old newspaper clippings is quite interesting but it legitimately you know the the rip from the headlines war on battle cannon battles on the Great Lakes or whatever all over the commercial fishing industry and we even had, you know, there was an immunity clause that, hey, the, the game warden couldn't be sued or held liable for, for any fishing game damage that they did during the enactment of their job. And there was news reports of a of a tugboat commandeered by the game warden at the time and a cannon mounted on it. And if they didn't stop the illegal fishing, he was firing rounds off on his cannon and ramming boats and seizing tens of thousands of pounds of fish and just. Unreal. I just read these, and it's like, really, is this this, is, this stuff really went
1: on? It's I shot my cannon ten times today. <laughs> right, right,
2: you know it. Uh, but you know, and it's interesting because they recognized very early on that hey, this isn't all about just protecting the game and fish, but there's an ac- economic value here, mm. um, and, and these do belong to everybody. And if we continue to to rape and pillage this resource, you know that uh, it's just not going to be around. Mm.
1: Uh, absolutely you know certainly uh, teddy roosevelt started that whole trend in that way of thinking as we were seeing resources depleted on a national level so i think everybody was turning towards that but to have an actual game warden act and and these guys they had to be tough and you're right there yeah. was gun battles ensued everybody had a gun back then yep and wasn't afraid to use it
2: no not at all no yeah. there was one article about the same guy that he he shoved a bunch of pistols down his belt and the hatchet and he was dressed like a pirate boarding ships and ordering their surrender of illegal fishing and just crazy times. Stuff that you would watch a movie and be like, man, that there's no way this stuff happened. <laughs> but but it did. Yeah. it's just unbelievable. Just yeah. a rich history. And, and you know every agency law enforcement has their own history, but for some reason, game wardens seem to have that history that just is enthralling and drags you into it. It's like, Literally a Hollywood script almost every day. When you really start reading through it, it's um, it's unbelievable.
1: And some of the actors in there were very unique individuals, just very like much you so. said. You you put a bunch of pistols in there with a tomahawk, and your board shifts, and you know, <laughs> and, and take over, and yeah, I, th- th- that's things that movies are made of. Very sure. much so. You know, I, I think of the CJ Box series. You know, the Joe Pickett series, and it seems to be a huge hit. And th- I always say this when we interviewed uh, CJ. Talking to other game wardens, they're like, "Well, that's not really game warden work." And I'm like, "Well, if you think about all the game wardens and you put us together, that's kind of Joe Pickett mm-hmm. because we all have unique things. You know, we all shoved guns down our pistols and we jumped, <laughs> we we boarded, and you know, some of us involved with murders. Uh, it's just the yeah. things that happen in the woods that we are involved is is, is epic film worthy stuff, and that's why we have uh, like your TV show.
2: Yeah, the wardens.
1: The warden's That's yep. so is that's on the Outdoor Channel right? Outdoor Channel, yep, great. And we've had uh you know success with Northwood Law, uh, Lone Star Lawn, Louisiana Law, all these things because people find them a interesting because it's about wildlife interaction with wildlife. Yep. But the game warden job is really cool and there's a lot of action, animal related, people related, uh, search and rescue related. Very it, much. It's it's not a dull job and it keeps us all hopping and. To think we've had 200 years of this, basically, and we have we, we've changed a lot in that time period. But I don't. I wonder. I think we were all cut from the same cloth as those first game wardens were.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's funny because we, we've preached for a very long time that game wardens and conservation officers have always been the forgotten heroes in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, they think law enforcement, they think the state trooper, they think the city cop or the sheriff deputy. Like unless you recreate or hunt and fish. Nobody ever thinks of the game wardens, and, and that, that, that mentality is starting to change. Like you said, with the yeah. Northwoods Law and the Warden Show, um, people are really starting to recognize the the value in what game wardens provide to to protecting our resources, because ultimately, whether you hunt or fish or you recreate an RV snowmobile, you may not have that interaction, but it is the environment and all of that stuff, whether you do it all, you do a little bit, it all plays into that, that, that same resource for everybody. So, you know, we're, we're kind of the police officer for everybody, but we just... Mm. We wear a different uniform, and we live and play and work in the outdoors.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's the communities that you serve sometimes, because I know in northern New Hampshire compared to southern New Hampshire, everybody knew what the game warden was because, A, you lived in that community, but everybody in that community was outdoor-related, whether they hunted, whether they fished, whether they snowmobiled, whether they ATV. They are all doing the recreation that we enforce. And the other thing about our rich you know, history, is those guys set the stage for us to be respected in nowadays. They they really did. They did. And I've had other guys, uh, other wardens. When I did search warrants for my guys, they'd wear their Stetson. And that's the way I was trained. You know, there's certain things you wear your Stetson for. And when you knock on a door, you better have your Stetson on. (laughs) And I, I think it has that impact as well. So when they open the door and they see that Stetson. So whether you're a five-foot-eight guy like me or a six-foot, you know, two-guy like another officer, uh, that that Stetson has some demeanor to it and rich history as well, and that's why I was always, my first interaction with uh, Game Warden in the Woods, you know, I asked my dad who the Cowboy in the Woods is, and I think I I attracted to that hat too, so it's always been something that I carried through my career, and I think my district's still carrying it through, uh, the Stetson's still important to some of them, and like I said, I got that from uh, Sergeant Bob Bryant. Then he ended up Lieutenant Bob Bryant. But that's that was my mentor, the guy that I did ride-alongs with. He instilled, and his dad was a game warden before him, so he instilled that history and what sure. was important. And if we're not instilling our history into each and every person, and you're here at um, your in-service training, instilling history into all the wardens, Right.
2: Yeah, for sure. And for us, it wasn't Stetsons. We never really developed those. We tried them for a few years back in the 30s, but I, I think people think or they see blouse boots in in Michigan, and, and it's instantly that's the game warden, and, and that's one thing. I mean, we really? still blouse all of our boots. Something as simple and goofy as that as a blouse boot is is basically our mantra. You know, our uniforms change and mm-hmm. things, you know, come and go, and uh, but the blouse boots have have forever remained.
1: That's interesting cuz they can pick you out right away mm-hmm. in a group of law enforcement over the blouse boots. Yeah. Uh, yep. That that's very unique and and very cool too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, you know, we we had a <clears throat> you know, we've got a lot of younger generation coming in as us older gentlemen are starting to filter out and and it's fun to teach the history of who we are, where we came from and you start to realize and there was a lot of aha moments today during our presentation about the history um, from the very beginning all the way up to to modern age. But you start to realize and you hear some of our staff in the background being like, oh, you know, why do we got to do it this way? We never used to do it this way, blah, blah, blah. And you really start looking at it and and the light bulbs are coming on. It's like, yeah, you know, we in 1911, you know, we were doing – program groups so you know we had a group that did fires and then we had a group that did game wardens but when the fires weren't going on they were doing this but they were paid out of two different funds Mm. so yeah we have to break our hours down whether we're doing snowmobile orv um, game and fish whatever even today Mm -hmm. but back in 1911 they were doing the same thing and they were picking what funding source they were working out of even (laughs) way back then so you start to see some of these light bulbs come on and people say oh wow you know, we, 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 nothing really has changed the names, the faces, the uniforms, obviously the times, but it's still the same old job it used to be, which was actually kind of comical at numerous points during the discussions today of like, wow, it really is the same old job that just
1: they ha- hasn't really changed. Easier this time because they got a computer that they click and stuff and those guys actually wrote it down and sure. had to keep a ledger. Yeah, Uh, things like that. (laughs) Yeah. And we take
2: for granted, you know, complaints come in and they, they knock on your door or your phone rings or whatever you call a dispatch center. And back then it was mailing postcards Mm. (laughs) or, or, you know, and sometimes they would get a complaint in the mail a month or two after, and we didn't have cars. So they saddle up their horse or they strap on their boots (laughs) and they'd go hike across the County. And here they are pulling hundreds of cases, you know, off a horseback and yeah and it's like <laughs> unreal when you sit back and you think about how how they did it back in the day, but that's all they knew, uh-huh. but now we have mobile motor horses basically right to exactly. do the same thing
1: cover a little distance a lot quicker, yeah, so you don't have stetsons, do you have the the little police hat
2: yeah, so we <sighs> Our, our primary hat was the Persian cap with hats. So. Yep. Yep. So the, so the Pershing hat was, was our, our traditional style that we had. And, and we honestly didn't have uniforms until 1928. It was plain clothes. Our first uniform was 1928. And part of that was just a cruiser coat and some jot upper, you know, riding style pants with the, with the pootie boots, um, and, and that Pershing hat. And that was the first one. Mm. Like I said, we, we did some field testing um, in the '30s with the Stetsons, but never really adopted them. For the the standing joke up until this day is is our staff. Even back then, you read old articles and they hated those Pershing hats because it made them look like bus drivers. Because mm. back in the '40s, '50s, what and whatever, you know, that's what the bus drivers wore. Right. But we stuck with it, and we didn't really. That was our everyday hat until the '80s when we deployed baseball hats basically uh-huh. for our everyday wear in the field, and, and then we saved the Pershing cap for dress wear. But That was, you were out of your truck, you were out of your vehicle or whatnot, you were on patrol and you were wearing that Pershing cap.
1: Has the color of your uniform stayed pretty much primarily the same?
2: Yeah, we've always wore green for the most part. For our our early stages, it was a sand tan shirt and a black tie. And now today we kind of have a combination. We switched, we got rid of the sand tan around the 50s and replaced it with gray Mm -hmm. and got rid of the black ties and switched to green. The winter we wore an all green uniform with a tan tie and then essentially retired that, and pretty much from the 1980s consistently on, we've wore gray and green with a green tie, and then phased in as we've we've gone through a, a classy uniform that we wear every day that's wash and wear, um, so we don't get our, our nice uniforms, our wool ones all all totally dirty, but for the most part, we've always been the, the gray and green or a tan and green, some sort of, of that color. Do
1: you have any Game Warden stories from that era that are kind of unique? Oh, there's all kinds of good stories
2: out there some of the early ones that we talked about was uh the, the commercial fishing stuff of getting tips of uh back then it was really common with the fishery that illegal commercial fishing was on the indiana border down in lake michigan so indiana was unregulated and then michigan had all these commercial fish laws so there was a closed season in november for commercial fishing so the indiana crew would sneak into michigan waters and then at the site they'd see the game warden coming. they would obviously scatter back into Indiana into unregulated water. So it was this constant ongoing battle back and forth and, and uh, boats being rammed and just, just that war on the fisheries is just, just that ongoing constant battle. And it happened throughout all of the Great Lakes, but mm. um, th- those, those border states that hadn't quite got the regulations up to speed to where we were at caused a lot of those conflicts.
1: For sure. But no iconic individuals like the guy with the the pistols mounting the <laughs> with the tomahawk and and things like that.
2: Yeah, we've got some famous people, um, or I guess more more renowned. Not necessarily all of them for for, for cases made. Reuben Babbitt at, back in the '30s. He was uh, originally hired way back in the early 1900s. Um, worked for the department at various different levels from the fire fireside the, the game warden side and he worked all the way up to and i think he had 30 40 years on before he finally passed away and there's iconic people like him mm-hmm. that you just mention the name through history and everybody recognizes it. But it, it seems like some of those big core company or so, those big core counties, like Crawford County, is a big one too. We've got some big names that come through there, and that's where Babbitt was. A lot of the the, the trout fishermen and that fishing industry, you know, really lobbied those outdoor groups to get good people in there, and it seems like they were. Those officers not only were good enforcers, but they were good communicators with the public, and they had that reputation of being fair and equal, and, and, and that is the part that really resonates. You know, the, the, the fun cases that we talk mm-hmm. about on the, the Great Lakes and stuff, I mean, those are fun. That's why those resonate, but a lot of our people, it's that prestige of being equal, being fair, and those communities still recognize those names.
1: Mm, absolutely. A um, town forester named after um. Things along that lines. I, you know, still have those iconic game wardens in and around the North Country where I live, but, and they were they were icons in there. Mm-hmm. Waysides named after them, state forests, trails. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how much of an impact a game warden had during that time frame. Yeah. And someone, like you said, someone on to be legislators. someone went on to do town government, mm-hmm. but always renowned and held in a space of, I don't know if "honors" the word, but respect.
2: Yeah, you know, and it, it's funny because a lot of our chiefs in the early on days went on to be governors, or, 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 you know, like you you had said too, you know, that went on to work for the House of Representatives or the Senate. But you really look at their vision and I call them visionaries cause they really, I wish, I think they probably had a time machine. I don't know, but like mm-hmm. they were very future driven and they could look at something that was happening today and they could be like, well, if we don't do this in X number of years, this is going to happen. So they developed the plans and, um, it, it's, but they, they knew not only fish and game, but like forestry. Um, so chase Osborne, one of our chiefs, had, he was a big forestry guy and had that vision like, Hey, you know, it's all said and dandy if we're going to have protect the game and fish, Mm -hmm. but what about the forests that they require to, to support them as well? Um, and we'd never thought about the forestry aspect of it before then. So we had cut it all down to the logging era. Mm -hmm. So Osborne was really big into preserving the forest, even though he, he had said, you know, they're not in any imminent danger of disappearing, but if we don't do something now, that for future generations we're we're going to be you know in a world of hurt. So mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because it's the mission statement now of our department, but yet it was something he was working on back in the late 1800s. So you know, and then his vision didn't even come to fruition until he was out of office and done with being our game warden. But it was his vision and his writings that established the tree nursery up at uh, Higgins Lake in Ross Common in 1904 and it was those seedlings that they grew at that nursery for years that replanted our entire state after the logging era and then took all those tax reverted lands that had been lost during the depression and all that good stuff and turned that into our national forest system and our state forest system in the state so well after he was out of office but they took his plan and they developed it even after he was out so i call them visionaries cuz i i swear they had they, they just they knew and they mm. just and then and they went on to to bigger and better things. So it wasn't all about game and fish. It, there was a whole big environmental thing. But that was before, you know, we were game wardens, but we were biologists too.
1: Right. We were foresters. We did it all. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Now we have agencies that do it all, but individuals were doing it all back then. Yeah. yeah yep. no, it's a bit very interesting. And I always say we're leg biologists anyways, even mm-hmm. though we may not have the position. Some of us don't have the degree. But when you're out there working with fish and wildlife on a constant basis, you, you know. Right. And I know some of my biologists used to query me all the time and just ask, hey, Wayne, what do you think of this? Hey, Wayne, what do you think of that? And I respected their opinions. They respected mine. And it was always, it was always a good working relationship. And that's what I think is really unique about our job is that we work so closely with individuals like that that are managing, you know, the outdoors. You know, yep. we're the enforcement. We're part of that puzzle. But they're actually managing it, and our job's to support them and vice versa. Correct, yeah. yeah. And they've been doing that. And like you said, they were doing that by themselves 200 years ago and just, yeah. just came up. Now, now it's getting too busy, so we're dividing it out to have different missions and single-air jobs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, no, very cool. Any changes in the Michigan history? I mean, so sometimes there's, like, big hires that occur or... Somebody gets in there and, you know, says, oh, we need twice as many game wardens. Any of that stuff in the history?
2: Yeah, so we,
1: after, well,
2: during the war years of World War II Mm -hmm. um, and the Great Depression really depleted our our sources of of CO, so they actually created in 1931 what what was known as the Field Administration Division. So they found that if they can, they condensed a bunch of different divisions, so they they can they combined law enforcement, forestry, lands and uh game refuges all under the field administration division. And at that point, we had about 150 COs that covered the entire state, but due to the 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 Great Depression that was going on and, and our our sources of of COs were actually depleted down to about 95 during all of that. Um there was some pay cuts, there was some shortages of work days. But by bringing, creating the field administration division that was ran by COs, we began to commission everybody that fell under the umbrella, no matter what your job was. Mm. So you could be a, a clerk at a game refuge or just the, the, game, the game ranch keeper, and we actually commissioned you as a CO because you worked for us, which was kind of great because it added like an additional 300 people wow. to our enforcement authority. When we were sitting at like 95 or 120, you know, so, so we've, we've done some goofy things like that to kind of offset, Hey, we're, we're going through some troubled times. We're going to do whatever we can to, to beef it up. So like we have, and it's hard. Okay. So then you're looking at those eras now historically and you're like, okay, well, were you a CO, or (laughs) were you a game refuge ranch keeper or were you really a fire clerk or, or what did you actually right. do were you a ceo uh, uh, you know ultimately the answer was yes because they were commissioned but mm-hmm. yeah that was that was an interesting time and that went on into the mid 60s so it started way early on in the 30s and and continued on through the 60s with with just that many people hey poof you're a ceo poof you're a ceo biologist uh, poof you're a ceo <laughs>
1: well very very cool actually so some of the highlights are the, the the Great Lakes, of course, that's and that started a lot of it as far as commerce, fisheries.
2: Yeah, if it wasn't for the the Fish Commission at the time, you know, really reaching out and and getting the the legislature involved, I, I can't say that we would have had a game warden in eighteen eighty seven. Right. So it really our 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 grassroots started in the fishing industry and and came about because of the work that the Fish Commissioners were doing, um, and then obviously you know as it, it expanded from there. Market hunting was a big, huge problem back then mm-hmm. as well. So there, there was that game element of it. And uh, so in like their late 1800s, they, they were estimating about half a million dollars way back then of game venison was being sold illegally on the market. So it was killed. Sport game, whatever, and then sold in like I don't even know. I think it was like what fifteen million pounds of venison each year was being sold on essentially the the market trade, hmm. um, stealing from the people. And, and yeah, well, a half a million dollars doesn't seem like a lot, but really when you equate that with the inflation rate and stuff to to today, it's like eighteen million dollars a year, and wow. or a billion, sorry, eighteen billion dollars a year in revenue, huh. basically stolen and poached from from the people. So. Market hunting was a big part of that, and we mm-hmm. still combat that even this day to an extent, not not on that level. But um, it it's started with fisheries and then kind of it developed into this, this big, huge conglomerate of what we are today.
1: And, and what kind of fish are they targeting commercially on the Great Lakes?
2: Yeah, uh, whitefish and usually lake trout was the big ones. Okay.
1: Open today, it's changed a little now, perch is in there? Or yeah, perch
2: is in there still, Yeah, and yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> things things have changed.
2: Yep, just a little bit. Yeah. Salmon's still a big thing, and that was a big thing back then too. They're not actually native to to the Great Lakes. We we transplanted those in there, but mm-hmm. that's a huge fishing industry now too. So we've kind of brought some new new species in to, <laughs> to keep it all going, I guess. But
1: and where they used to you know fish for subsistence back then, we actually fish more recreation now comparatively.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah. And there's still commercial fishing going on in the Great Lakes definitely not to the extent as it was back in the day there was right. there was one point where they said that in one of the reports to the governor's office that there was so many nets in the great lakes that you could actually tie them all together and if you did tie them all together they would string the entire shoreline of the great lakes that mm-hmm. that covered the state of michigan which is over 3000 miles wow so and that and that was in <laughs> the late 1800s 1893 or something I think it was when yeah. they they had said that and I I can't even imagine I mean you could probably just walk across the nets
1: <laughs> uh, un- unbelievable
2: 3000 miles worth of nets just unbelievable to me
1: that that is very crazy so your state seal the one you use now on your trucks and everything has that been the same since the beginning it hasn't
2: um so that came about in the nineties, and we transitioned from so that's really just our second the the department itself the d n r has its own logo, but law division has always had our own originally, and we didn't have vehicles until nineteen sixty six Wow, that was our first commissioned uh, patrol car for our officers before that they drove their personal cars, so there was no logos on them, no nothing, but that first car in sixty six had just basically the the coat of arms for the state and then in the 90s we transitioned to our current shield that we currently use.
1: Hmm. That's very unique and that's your badge as well.
2: Yeah, it's a similar mock-off of our badge, okay. but yep.
1: I thought that was very cool. And your trucks are nice and simple and yeah, I like that. Of course I like the report report the poaching on it as well.
2: Yeah, from the outside the trucks look pretty basic. Um the Chevy Silverado that we drive, but on the inside it's it's essentially a modernized uh Cruiser. Rolling uh, yeah. <laughs> Mobile Dispatch Center office um, with some of the latest and greatest technology. Sometimes but, a
1: bunk room. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Anything else you you want to bring in about Michigan history, Michigan game warden history?
2: There's so much there I could tie up ours probably. We didn't issue pistols until 1939, and that was a result of three game wardens that were murdered in the UP um, in separate incidents, and then the accidental death of another. So the division decided that, hey, we need to do something to to actually um, provide safety and security for our staff. So before that, it was just, if you didn't have the gift of gab and could talk yourself out of it, then, mm. you know, you may find yourself in a world of hurt. But over the years, obviously, the technology and handguns have changed, too, to what we carry now. But, uh, yeah, in 1939, the, the department bought a bunch of cult official polices, and that's what uh, they mm. began issuing.
1: And those game wardens that were killed in the UP, was that related to trapping? I mean, it seems like...
2: Yeah, there was... There were some that were, uh, they were deer-related. believe it or not. Two of them were executed over a bait pile. So, yeah, that was back in 1926 when uh, baiting was a big contention. Obviously, back then, too, it was illegal in that part. So then there was another one that was investigating a trap line, and he was shot and killed with a twenty two, And then his body was actually disposed of by the violator with, a, with an entire case of dynamite. Wow. So they, he exploded his body to try and get rid of him. And then uh, the accidental death, he was working on his car so that he could go out on patrol and had a, we didn't have pistols then, so he he actually had a uh, personal gun that had fallen out of its holster, and when it hit the ground, it discharged and ended up killing mm. him too. So obviously we wanted to get rid of that kind of stuff and, and have mm. a have training and something that was consistent. But yeah, so some of our fallen officers have been game-related, fish-related trapping related. We've had a lot of drownings, helping with uh, fire suppression, trying to navigate rivers to get people, rescuing people. A significant number of our staff have actually died in plane crashes, including our most recent one in 2015. So we, uh, we're, we've we been out of the airplane business for the most part in the 60s. We let our, our fire officers fly the airplanes now too. But when it comes to, to to our line of duty deaths, it's been kind of all over the map. Like most are Automobile-related, but obviously the nature of the business that we do, ours are just kind of all over the place. For sure,
1: they're all over the map. Yeah. Huh. Typically, in the older days, a trapping-related was pretty common because, again, it was a source of income, a sure. source of contention. Yep. Similar to fish. I mean, whenever there's money to be made on a wildlife resource that's owned by the state, there's always poaching going on.
2: Yeah, and we're still trying to get. A grip on how many officers we've actually lost in the line of duty. Uh, so we know of 16 known fallen officers. We're working on possibly a 17th right now, but our history has been ravaged by two fires, one in the twenties, mm-hmm. one in the fifties, and then a flood in the two thousands at our headquarters. So we've, uh, we've lost a lot of our history due to some tragedies as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we're diligently working as hard as we can to to at least get recognition for those that have, have given that sacrifice um, that, that aren't getting the recognition now that 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 they deserve.
1: Uh, very admirable. So do that historical research, too. Are you the one that's researching those in the line of duty desk to, to try to bring that to light?
2: Yeah, we're always looking. There's a handful of us that are pretty dedicated to the history. We're all just hobby historians, essentially, but uh, two of the last ones that we discovered— were actually reported to us by the Officer Down Memorial page. Uh, they were doing some historical research and came across some old news clippings from the 30s of uh, two of our officers that were killed in a car accident. One of them was only on the job for a week wow. and was killed. So we we do get random, hey, I found this from other game warden agencies or, mm-hmm. or other other people who research in their states that stumble on stuff that, that help us out too. So there, there's definitely a Unknown team effort behind some of this research is, is all agencies right now are, are really researching to to get that recognition.
1: Yeah, no, that's very very cool that that they get that recognition. Yeah, and that, that you're researching and people are looking around for that stuff. So certainly want to honor the following So nope, it's it's been an awesome time to you know talk about Michigan history. Here I am in Michigan. Uh, and that then it was great to sit down with you and uh, start what I hope is going to be a series of Michigan officers here talking about some cases, some things that are going on in Michigan, and uh, you, you got to start with the history, don't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it, it's who we are and why we're here. Exactly. Nope, I agree 100%. Mark, and uh, thank you for joining Warden's Watch and sharing that.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: <laughs> is Warden's Watch.